your words for us, Lord God. We thank you for your divine direction. God, we pray uh, that your spirit infills us and gives us guidance, Lord God, with this little sermon, Lord. And we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the freedom to fellowship. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So my uh, title tonight is to stick with it. It's a very great slide. Those are awesome shoes. The on shoes, those are cool. Um, so stick with it. Uh, this has just been something that's been um, on my heart and on my mind throughout this week, uh, which is something that has carried me through a lot of situations, um, but particularly the most, of course, is in Christ. And um, it's getting a revelation of what your options are and then realizing you just got to stick with it. What are your options and you just got to stick with it. And so I just wanted to give you guys some of these really uh, silly stories of me really quick. Um, here, let me just do this really quick. I had this uh, here. Um, just a couple of moments where I had to push through kind of in like the real world and then I, I ended up getting the outcome I needed uh, where I just kind of stuck with it, okay? And uh, the the first one I'll mention is when I was in nursing school and uh, it got to a point where it was really, really hard. <laughs> um, I am the kind of student who if I needed an A, I was going to somehow plan to get a 90, not a 100. That's just how I thought. Like, I manipulated every little, like, scholarship. My parents said, you got to get at least this scholarship. So I said, how can I give the minimum possible effort to get that scholarship? That was how I was as a teenager. And, uh, but I did accomplish those goals. And so, but because I had, like, kind of a lazy style of studying, when I got into nursing school, it was like a rude awakening. It was, uh, it was literally like school for eight hours, go home, study for three or four hours, and sometimes go to work. So it was just like brutal. And there were some times where I was doing like, you know, all these other like um, jobs and stuff. And so I had to learn really quick, like really hard school, like really fast. And I think Brother Joe <laughs> can testify to that. He went through uh, RN school, which is just a little more edge on it than LPN school that I did. So he knows the pain the school and anyways uh the point is there was a point where i had a a, a teacher that um she was renowned for hating young men for some reason i was literally the only male in my program i was the only male not even the teachers were male um and for some reason she had a vendetta and the guy there's one male before me in the class before me and he came and told me he was like i'm just letting you know she's really hard on young guys and everyone will tell you and he was like the valedictorian of their class and he got all this stuff from her. So I, anyways, I had her as a clinical and she was brutal. She was asking me questions and telling me that I'm going to, I can hurt a patient. I can, I can really mess up somebody's life because I don't know this information. And the whole time I'm like, I haven't actually gone through that in the book. You know, like we haven't got there, but she was holding me accountable to that on a very moral sense. And it gave me a ton of stress. And, um, the bottom line was I got to a point where I was so stressed about school because I couldn't do well in their in their in her eyes, and it was such a heavy workload that I wanted to like, excuse me, like I'd wanted to vomit on my way to work on my way to school, like it got really bad. Where like the stress, I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that where you're just this cumulative stress builds up where you're just like sweating, and you get nauseous and you don't even know how you're gonna get through it, and. Um, I had to come to a point where I spoke to my grandmother. She was very sweet to inspire me. And uh, I got to a point in my brain where I said, it doesn't matter how hard it is. I will not drop out because I give up. If she fails me, if I can't cut it and I'm giving all that I've got, it's not going to be because I gave up. And that was the, the turn for me. That was the switch that said, no matter what, you just give it all. And that resonated with me to the point that I also gave myself more time to study. I was just like just doing everything I could. So another simple story of that, 
um, there was this one point in my life where I decided I wanted to try my best to break a metal bar for some reason. It was, it was like that thick, and it was a uh, really, I don't even know what it was made of. It was just some kind of really, it was metal bars, like this thick. And I, ga- I it was attached to a wall and a few pieces about this long. And I decided I just wanted to see if I could break it. And I remember I tried a few times. <sighs> couldn't break it. Tried a few times. Tried it a few times, I couldn't break it. And I decided, Brad, I'm just going to give it all that I've got. No holding back this time. Like, I'm going to rip it off. I'm going to do whatever I can to get it. And I, I remember cranking on it with my full body. I felt it all the way down to my legs. I was cranking on this thing as hard as I possibly could. And it broke. And I remember feeling so excited I broke this little part. <laughs> Nobody knows about it, you know, but I broke it. And I was so excited about it. It didn't affect anything, but the <laughs> You know, somebody knows now I can brag. This little metal bar. Anyways, the point is, uh, sometimes, you know, the little things in life and the big things in life, you just got to get to a point where you're just going to go for it with all that you got. And in Christianity, sometimes you face reality. Reality is hard, and life is hard. And sometimes you just have to, uh, you know, just not give up. That's the bottom line. In Christianity, you can you can get into a place where you're like, why do I even do this? You know? Why do I and you and you get like all these burdens, you get all these thoughts, and you will actually be tempted with the idea of giving up. And the point is you gotta know what your options are. Right? And so I, it's hard for me to convey this, but I wanted to refer to this scripture in John six, which says sixty seven through sixty nine, it says John 6, 67 through 69. Then Jesus said to the 12, will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So in this example, before this in the passage, Jesus was giving these kind of odd parables or odd examples of uh, his flesh being is the bread that you need to consume. And these non-believers didn't like it, and they didn't believe it. And so all these people that were following him left him. But the disciples, despite, even if they didn't really get it, it's like a parable they don't get, which there was a few of those, right? It was like little things, and, and Jesus turned to them like, because remember, they don't get it. Like, are you going to go too? And they're like, what do you mean where are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? It doesn't matter if I don't get it right now. You know, and so... I think uh, I'm going to end on this last moment here, which is um, there was a time I had a, a preacher, not in Pentecost, who was reading, he was very gifted in the spirit, and he was reading people's mail. He could just cr- pray for you, and God would give him words. And I remember one time he prayed for me, and he just gave me a word that was so specific and so unique um, that it was from God, and I knew it. And it just got to my core of my soul. And I'll tell you the hard part of the story, real life, which is sometimes this, these terrible things can happen, where this preacher misinterpreted the word. He gave me the one word. He gave that correctly. But then he went home to his family and told them that I was involved in some kind of sin. He told them the exact sin I was involved in, and he shared that with all of them. So then they are telling my friends, who are now telling back to me, saying, hey, man, are you doing this? I was like, No. And it was one of those hard realities where this preacher who's totally used by God totally, like, hurt me. Or it was totally bashing my name, and it was totally false. You know, and you can't argue it because it's kind of like this thing, you know, and, like, you couldn't argue it. And I was just like, I'm just, it's false. But what was the good thing about that moment for me was it didn't change anything for me. I didn't go, like, oh, now I'm not going to go to church. Now I'm not going to trust when somebody gives me a word. I still give all my attention to somebody when they want to pray for me. Because where else am I? Just because that person did something that was mean and hard, it doesn't change the reality of God is still Christ who died for us and who wants us to live. And it doesn't matter what I go through, that is still the truth. And so I hope and pray that your perspective um, from my sermon at tonight is just simply that. You just don't give up. 
Don't, don't twist the reality. God is still God. He still loves you, and he still wants to bless you, and he still wants to give you heaven. So don't let the world and don't let people or don't let anything get you away from that. Get like the disciples and just realize that this is, all we, this is what we got, and let's go for it. So in Jesus' name. Amen. Just got to stick with it. Thank you, Brother Brad, for that. No matter how hard things get, um, we just have to believe and hold on that God's going to bring us through, no matter what's going on in our lives. And, and he does. He's not going to forget about his people. He's not going to leave us. As he said, he will never leave us or forsake us. So we have that to hold on to. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to take a break tonight from our um, series we've been doing about the uh, the great mystery. And we're going to be doing, um, taking uh, one, one Thursday a month and just kind of talk about um, our doctrine, our faith, what we believe and do as apostolics uh, to help uh, refresh us and bring all these things back to mind so that um, it's not so long that we don't talk about the uh, fundamentals of the apostolic faith, man, because we need to stay sharp uh, with uh, what's going on there in the world and in our own life. Amen? Amen. So tonight, uh, our text is going to be taken from 1 Corinthians 13 and 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries... And all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could mo- remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods and feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And then we're going to focus more on the first verse. And um, we're going to be talking about basically about speaking in tongues. Amen. So you may be seated tonight. Amen. Speaking in tongues is so common to us apostolic Pentecostals uh, that it is our second language. Whether you realize it or not, you are a bilingual. Maybe you're a trilingual or whatever, four-lingual. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know that. Quadlingual. I probably won't reach that level now. So, um, we're all bilinguals at least, speaking our earthly language, our uh, the tongues of men, and believe it or not, most of Christianity out there probably hasn't heard anybody speak in tongues, or including themselves, and the reasons that they give are a few. Here's one. One is, well, that was for the early church, and that's not for us today. What a, what a horrible reason. That was just for the early church. Well, don't you want to be like there? Are, are you in church or not? Like, there's only one church, from what I understand. Uh, and so, what I understand is what the uh, uh, what was for the first church should still be for us because there's a continuation of church. There's only one church throughout the age of time, and it's not like there's different churches that have started up. There are churches, obviously, that have strayed and erred from the faith, um, and obviously, that's why we have. You know, 400,000 different denominations of Christianity. But in the beginning, there's only one church. And the problem is, is man starts getting in the way and starts saying, well, we need to do this. And start skipping out scriptures and forgetting all of these things. And pretty soon you have a whole mess of things. But it's pretty sad when most of Christianity uh, does not speak in tongues or know anyone that does. Because that's all the first church did. And uh, if we are in church, is it, why is it so different then than the original church if that was only for them? Uh, the modern, that would mean the modern day church would be far inferior to the first church. They speak in tongues and we don't. Well, that, they're obviously a better church than we. Why? What, what happened to the decline? Where God doesn't, God's stuff doesn't get worse. It gets better over time. Amen. And so whatever was uh, purpose for the first church is still purpose for us today because we are still a part of the first church. Uh, And so that is a lie and a deception to keep people from receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Exactly what the devil wants. He doesn't want 
Christians receiving the Holy Ghost because once they do, they receive the power of God and the, the power over all the enemy. And so, uh, sadly, most Christians are Christians in name only. Uh, they claim they're Christians, but they don't live any part of it. Um, they are powerless against sin and the devil because they haven't received the Holy Ghost. If they haven't received the Holy Ghost, they're missing out on a big part of what it means to be a Christian. And so the first thing is, is they say, well, uh, that was for the earlier church, that's not for today. It's easy for them to say that because they've never heard anybody speak in tongues, so they say, yeah, it's obviously not for today, which is uh, deception. The second reason is they like to quote scripture as to why they don't speak in tongues today. They'll go to 1 Corinthians 13 and 8. It says, charity faileth, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they shall be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And so they say, you see here, you see here, tongues, they shall cease. And they, has, they ceased at some point. Uh, because our church doesn't speak in tongues, so obviously they have ceased. Uh, and so there's your proof that it was only for the early church. Well, it's, it's easier to quote that verse and to believe it than to realize you're bound by false doctrine. So which will keep you from speaking in tongues and receiving the Holy Ghost. And so the verse says, prophecies shall fail. Tongues will cease and knowledge shall vanish. And so you mean to tell me that the, only the middle part of that verse actually has come to pass, yet you still believe that prophecies are still going on and knowledge hasn't vanished. Obviously, knowledge is, still, is more abundant now than ever. You just go to Mr. Google and you can have all the knowledge you want. So knowledge hasn't vanished. Prophecies still haven't failed. But tongues, yep, that's the one. That, sorry, that one's done. How easy to believe that if you don't speak in tongues or you don't preach that in your church. But instead of just pulling out one verse, let's just keep on reading because the next verse actually tells us when all this will happen. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And so there's actually when it all ends, when a prophecies fail, when tongues cease and knowledge is done away, is when which is perfect is come, then all that goes away. And obviously, if tongues are ceasing, that means you're saying that perfection has come, which clearly you're deceived because perfection has not come yet. Uh, and so which, uh, when that which is perfect is come, prophecies will cease, tongues will cease, knowledge will vanish. Why? Because we will have become perfect at that point. We will have resurrected bodies. We will be living with Jesus in heaven, living in perfection. And so why would we need prophecies anymore? Everything's already fulfilled. Why every one of them had, would have been fulfilled. Why would we need to speak in tongues when we're standing next to Jesus? Knowledge will vanish because we'll pass into eternity, into a realm which we don't even have the slightest clue about. And so maybe God will flick the switch and we'll just know everything. And so everything, all of that will be revealed. And so that day is coming when perfection comes, that tongues cease, prophecies fail. But tongues haven't ceased yet because we still speak in tongues. And God is still pouring out his spirit in the last days. And so uh, to pull that one part out of that verse saying, well, it ceased, well, that's, that's foolish. And so the last reason that they give... Uh, for not speaking in tongues, is they say that if someone does speak in tongues, they have the gift of tongues. And I don't have the gift, so I don't need to speak in tongues. Well, this reason is partially correct because there is a gift of tongues that God gives to some people and not others. Uh, but the gift of tongues is only given after someone receives the Holy Ghost. You first got to receive the Spirit of God in order to get the gifts of the Spirit. So speaking in tongues is the sign, the initial sign that somebody has received the Holy Ghost. And so if you say you've never spoken in tongues, biblically you just admitted that you've never received the Holy Ghost. Because that's what the Bible says. 
and so this is the critical failure in Christianity's interpretation of Scripture is that they think that uh, one receives the Holy Ghost just by believing or utter, uttering some pithy prayer or filling out a decision card, and all of a sudden you got the Holy Ghost. When time after time, Scripture after Scripture, we see people speaking in tongues as they are filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 10, when Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do they know they received the Holy Ghost? Did they turn in decision cards right then? Did they say, I just confess that he's my Savior? And they, oh, wow, you got the Holy Ghost. I didn't think you could do that. What, just repeat a, repeat a, repeat a prayer? Surely something happened that uh, they knew that they received the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so what do we see? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, "Can any man forbid water after these uh, should not uh, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we?" And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed that they tarry the certain days. And so they knew that they had received the Holy Ghost because they heard them speak with tongues. It just says it right there. And Peter says, "Can anyone argue with that? We can't make somebody speak in tongues." Only God does that when he fills them with his spirit. And so Peter the apostle says, hey, I heard them speaking in other tongues. Surely God's doing something. They've done that. They need to get baptized now because they've received the Holy Ghost. And so this is exactly what happened. Uh, that This is exactly what Jesus said what happened when somebody receives the gifts of the Holy Ghost is that you will hear something. John 3 and 5 Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the, the kingdom of God. Now, I think Jesus would know what he's talking about. If Jesus says, if you haven't been baptized, and if you haven't received the Holy Ghost, you're not getting in the kingdom of God. I don't care how many people, what, what other churches say or what people say, Jesus knows what he's talking about. And if he says you haven't been born again, guess what? You ain't getting in. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. When you hear the wind blow, uh, you can hear the wind blowing, right? When it blows real fast, when you're outside and you hear the wind, you hear the wind blowing, there's a sound. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell when it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. This is Jesus saying, everyone that is born of the Spirit, you're going to hear a sound. And what is that sound? That is the sound of them speaking in tongues, as we just read in, in Acts chapter 10. They knew they filled, were filled with the Holy Ghost because they heard them speak with tongues. And so speaking in tongues is the evidence, the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. And I'm thankful that uh, we have received the Holy Ghost. Amen? Speaking in tongues. And so speaking in tongues has three purposes. The first being, obviously we just talked about that, the sign that you were filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and everybody wants to go to heaven, but Jesus said you got to be born of the water and born of the Spirit to get into heaven. Don't you think you'd want to know? You, we know when we get baptized. There's no question about that. But the critical part is, how do you know you receive the Holy Ghost? That's an essential part to getting into heaven. You fill out a decision card that's not going to get you into heaven. you got to know. And that's why Jesus said, everyone that is born of the Spirit, you will hear a sound. And so that is the initial sign, no, making no mistake about it. It's nothing that you and I can do. It's the Spirit of God. And so the initial sign of speaking in tongues happens to everyone that is born of the Spirit. Every single person that is filled with the Spirit of God will speak in tongues. Uh, that is uh, truly filled with the Holy Ghost. They will speak with tongues. If they have never spoken in tongues, then according to Jesus, according to the Scriptures, that they haven't received the Holy Ghost. Even though they will say they have because they believed uh, Jesus says, you'll hear a sound when you, are, when you are filled with the Spirit. And so, 
Uh, that is what happened to the early church, and that is the same for us today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he told them that they need to speak in tongues to get the, to be born of the Spirit back then, guess what? It still applies to us today. The word doesn't change just because the years change. What happened and was given for the church, the early church, is also given to us today. Because if, it, if things only apply to the, to the other early church, uh, we might as well just throw the whole Bible out because it was all written back then. Let's just start up our own Bible, and, pe- and churches do that. People do that. They have their own doctrines and their own beliefs. They're not even found in the Bible. And they hold to that more than they do the Bible. And so that's why if it's in the Bible, then it applies to us today. And so the second purpose of speaking in tongues is for us to communicate with God because God is a spirit um, and uh, to communicate with him, we speak, uh, obviously, in our, in our natural language. But when we're filled with his spirit, uh, the spirit of God communicates with heaven. Uh, and so that is through our personal prayer and our communion with God. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so when you're praying, um, sometimes the Spirit of God takes over and you just begin uh, not speaking in English. You begin speaking in tongues and uh, you don't know what you're saying, but God knows what you're saying because it's His Spirit that's causing these things, this intercession to take place. And so that is just one segment of prayer of intercession when you're groaning in the Spirit and uh, you're, you're, you're doing things that you do not uh, understand or can't comprehend. And so this is clearly a time when somebody is praying in tongues, uttering words and things we do not know. It is the Spirit that is doing that. And so this is for uh, the believer. Um, and so um, 1 Corinthians 14 and 2 says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Um, and so speaking in tongues is our audible way of communicating with God and God to us and God through us through his spirit. And so we clearly have no clue what we're saying. At least I don't. The words that we are saying or, or what are we are uttering in the spirit uh, unless God gives you the interpretation of, of what you are saying. We don't know what we are saying, but God knows exactly what we're saying. And so uh, as we are today becoming more and more accustomed to texting as a form of communication, God uses tongues as communication. That's his text line. That's his language that he has uh, used for to communicate with his believers and, and with each other. He uses tongues. He knows what he's, what's being said, even though we don't. And so 1 Corinthians 14, 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. He's saying, I don't know what I'm saying. And we obviously understand it. We get that. We don't know what we're saying unless there is some interpretation going on. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, he has no clue what he's saying. He doesn't understand. Verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. What he is saying is here, he's saying, I, I pray in tongues and I also pray in English or Aramaic, whatever language Paul spoke. Uh, I pray in tongues and I pray in English so that I partially know and understand what I'm praying. Uh, that's what he said. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding as well. I, I pray in the Spirit and pray in my normal language. I will. He goes on to say, I will sing in the Spirit. And I will sing with the understanding. And so what Paul is, under, is communicating here is there's, there's a balance to it all. Uh, praying in the spirit is great, but you also want to pray in your, in your tongues and, 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 and know what you're saying. Uh, Paul is telling the Corinthians about prayer. And it's not all the spirit and it's not all uh, in our natural tongues, but it's a mixture of both. We're communicating to God. And sometimes the spirit takes over. And sometimes we're back to our praying through our mind and, and what we know. I mean, because we can 
say, God, touch this person, touch this need, touch that need. And if we knew how to communicate that in the spirit, we probably would do that. And maybe we do. But still, God wants us to uh, come before him and, and tell him uh, the things that we need. And so we do that in the spirit and in our natural tongues. And so the benefits of praying in the spirit is great because you just tap into the move of the Holy Ghost. And you just start flowing with God, flowing with the spirit of God, and time can pass uh, away and you don't realize how long you've been. You just got caught up in the spirit. But there are also benefits to praying, as Paul says, with the understanding, meaning he understands what he's saying. Uh, you may be binding spirits in the spirit by speaking in tongues, but it also does you some good to hear yourself say that, that I, I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus, or I take authority and dominion over you in the name of Jesus, that you're not welcome here in my life or my home or my family, or I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. It does you some good to hear yourself say that. Hearing yourself pray that will give you more confidence and then give you boldness and strengthen your faith because you know what you're saying and you're processing that. There's no doubt that is that happens in the spirit, but we don't know what's being said or what we're praying about, but only we do when we use our language. And so just as there are different languages around the world, there are different language of, languages of tongues. If you want to call it different dialects or whatever you want to call it, that's fine, but there are are differences in tongues being spoken. And clearly, it's evident in our, in our body, church body, that we all speak differently, and yet some may sound a little familiar, and some are just drastically different than others. That's great. That's a difference, uh, a difference in tongues. And we see this mentioned in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another... Diverse kinds of tongues. Diverse kinds of tongues. That means a diversity of tongues. There are different dialects or languages, I guess, if you want, uh, of tongues. And so just as there are different dialects in the English language, there are different kinds of tongues, and that is something to be celebrated, that there's a diversity. Uh, God likes diversity. We're all different. We all sound different. Therefore, our tongues will all be a little bit different from one another. And there are times when someone's tongues is uh, actually a different language, a different earthly language that someone else can understand if they know, if they know that language and uh, someone speaks in that. This is clearly evident in the day of Pentecost and um, it's uh, evident in our, our world today. I've heard many stories about it. I only know English, so... Um, Unless uh, I learn another language and then I hear somebody speak in tongues in that language, then I'll know, hey, they, they spoke that language. But I only know English, uh, so uh, I'll miss out on that. And so on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room, uh, this is clearly evident in Acts 2, 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Again, there you go, the initial sign. How do you know they were filled with the Holy Ghost? They all spake in other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Every nation probably has their own different language. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. They heard them speaking in tongues, and they were confounded because that every man of every nation heard them speak in his own language. So sometimes people speak in tongues, and they're speaking a different language on the earth that someone else could hear what they say. If you knew that language. And so that would be called the tongues of men, the language that you and I speak. Uh, but Paul says in our text, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So he is referencing there's a, an angelic tongue. Obviously, we would have no idea what that, what that uh, saying is, what the words are being saying only through a, a divine interpretation. Uh, but he's saying there's tongues of men and of angels. There's a tongue that is not human but is divine. The tongues of angels, a tongue that nobody knows and understands except God and angels unless he gives us that interpretation of what is being said. And so the second reason or purpose for tongues is for our communication to God in our personal life during our prayer time where we're just 
uh, flowing with God, and in the Spirit, uh, we are speaking in tongues. And so the third reason that we have tongues is for the edification of the body of Christ. But before we dive into that third purpose, uh, we'll take a, 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 a diversion here. We make this disclaimer that speaking in tongues is not necessarily a sign of supernatural superiority. That if you get the award for speaking the most in tongues, that doesn't mean that you're more spiritual than somebody else. We can easily ascribe greatness to someone or most likely we'll think more highly of ourselves the more we speak in tongues because speaking in tongues can lead to somebody becoming self-righteous where they think that they are more spiritual than others because uh, they may feel that they speak in tongues more than somebody else. I don't, I don't keep track of who, how many times other people speak in tongues. That's just too much for me. I just, I'm just praying about myself, worrying about myself. Uh, and so I have no idea how much you speak in tongues or pray in tongues. I don't know. I'm just concerned about myself. But people can uh, think that they are more spiritual because they will speak in tongues a whole lot more than they hear somebody else. It doesn't always equate to being more spiritual uh, because 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, this is Paul, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Paul says here, it doesn't matter how much you speak in tongues. If you can't be nice to someone and show them love, what good is speaking in tongues? If you, have, don't, if you don't have charity, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter how much you speak in tongues. If you can't love somebody, then you're really missing out. If we as a body cannot get along, then it doesn't matter how much we as a body speak in tongues. It doesn't matter. We can't love each other. What good is the tongues? We're obviously missing, we would be missing out on something big. If we can't love each other and show love to the lost and those that come through the doors, then our speaking in tongues becomes hollow and in vain, and it isn't helping anybody. And so I, I'm not trying to silence us and keep us from speaking in tongues. No, it's a part of who we are and a part of being a, an apostolic Christian. Uh, mind you, not to forget who Paul is talking to here. The church at Corinth, the city of Corinth, the church there, the Corinthians. And if you don't know anything about the church at Corinth, uh, it's a good time to go back and, and read, read the first and second Corinthians and learn about them a little bit. Because let me tell you, the gifts of the Spirit were flowing at the church at Corinth. It was flowing left and right, but they were far, far from spiritual. They were probably the most carnal church in the Bible, and yet they were operating in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 5 and 1, this is, he, he's taught, we started out in verse 12, chapter 12, this is verse 5, chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. He's writing to the church. Now, put your head around that. Reportedly, commonly reported that there's fornication among you and such fornication as not so much as named among the, the Gentiles, the heathen Gentiles, uh, that none, that one should have his father's wife. They were, they were sleeping around and it wasn't good. But yet, they were speaking in tongues. In Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, he says, uh, 12 and 21, at least, and least when I come again, my God will humble me among you that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanliness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. He writes him a, a second letter later on, years later, and says, hey, people still haven't stopped sinning in the church. What's going on there? Wait till I get there. I'll set some things straight. That God, maybe God will humble me so he's not so harsh on them. And so that's the context of the Corinthians. 
They, uh, things are, weren't, weren't doing too well. There's a lot of flesh going on, a lot of carnality happening in the church, not good. And yet, in ver- chapter 14, verse 26, this is what he says. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, every one of you has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. Yet, when you come together as a church, you're singing psalms, you're, you're, you're speaking in tongues, you're doing all these things, but yet there's still sin in the church. How is that possible? So speaking in tongues and being used by the Spirit uh, really means that we are a vessel, a channel that God is using at that moment. It does not val- uh, uh, verify or validate your life. Some people, sometimes God uses somebody that they aren't living the best. But God needs to use that person to reach another person. And so he'll pass through that person to get a message, to pray for somebody or whatever. Whatever the case may be, uh, when, when God uses us for something, it doesn't mean he says, hey, um, you've been doing such a great job all week, I'm going to use you now. Sometimes uh, we may not have done anything all week and God still touches us and we think, oh, I'm good. That's the danger of backsliding because you live like the devil all week. You show up to church on Sunday and you pray through and you feel the, the power of God. And you think, oh, everything's fine. Must be a validation of my life, my godless life living throughout the week, which is entirely uh, false. And so God wants to edify his body. He wants to build up his body. He wants to strengthen his body. And so when God uses somebody, he's using us, that individual, to help strengthen the body. That's it. He's not doing it for you. The gifts of the Spirit are not for us. It doesn't say, I'm a superstar. I mean, use of God. God uses us to bless the body. That's it. And when you start thinking it's about us, we start going off on the wrong course because it's not about us. It's about the body of Christ. And so... Um, God wants to edify and build up and strengthen his body. And so he gives gifts to humans to do this. And that's the channel he's using. And so remember how God used Balaam's donkey? Balaam's donkey spoke in tongues. Are donkeys spiritual creatures? No, but one of them spoke in tongues. God used a donkey. If he can use a donkey, I guess he can use me, right? The problem is we start thinking we're somebody because God is using us when really we should say, hey, I'm just the donkey. I'm just here to be you. If God wants to ride on me into, into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a mule, hey, I'll be that mule. That's our purpose. That's our place. We're here to serve God and his kingdom. We're not to say, oh, God, you gave me this because I'm a superstar. I'm, a, I'm, I'm somebody special. No, we're not. We don't deserve to be here. And so this is what uh, God gives us these gifts for is to edify the body. And so, and I'm not trying to downplay or minimize or belittle speaking in tongues. It is a spiritual thing that God has established, but we sometimes can make it something that it's not. And spiritual people do speak in tongues. And I, I say the more we speak in tongues, the better. But speaking in tongues does not necessarily make one spiritual. And so that leads us to the third reason, the third purpose of tongues, the gift of tongues. This gift is manifested when the body of Christ comes together, and I I think we all know how it works. Uh, And its purpose, uh, combined with the interpretation, is for the edification of the body. That's what it's for. It's not for the vessel who gives the tongues. It has nothing to do with that vessel. It's about the body. Uh, and so uh, it's for the church, the body of Christ. Musicians, if you would come. And so verse, 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, uh, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. There's that, remember he talked about, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm, I'm really nothing. Here we go. He's introducing follow after charity. 
Get love first. Learn how to love people first. And then desire spiritual gifts. Because if you don't have love, then, then what the, what's the point of, of, of you doing all that stuff? Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. The first thing you need is the love of God in your life flowing through you if you want to become uh, used of God. And so, but he says, but rather that ye may prophesy. To prophesy is plainly to just to declare the word of God. That was what it means to prophesy. You're speaking the word of God. Preaching and teaching is considered prophesying because you're teaching and you're declaring the word of God to the body of Christ and you're giving that understanding to them uh, because the minister is declaring the word for the purpose of edifying the church. But the gift of prophecy is uh, to suddenly declare the word of God, just to start declaring the word of God. It's like... The interpretation of a tongue, but there's no tongue given. That's just a, the spirit of a prophecy comes forth and boom, you just declare it and you speak it in English. Uh, um, that is the, the gift of prophecy, just declaring what the word of God says. No tongue is given, just the word of God. And so Paul says, rather that ye may prophesy. Verse 1, follow after charity and spiritual desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. He goes on to explain why he's saying that. Why would he rather have somebody prophesy? Verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Verse 3, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. When one prophesies, he is speaking to the body in a language that we understand. And therefore, we are comforted and we're edified and we are, uh, exhortation happens. We, we understand what's, what's being said. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth to the church. What's the difference there? One is speaking in tongues that nobody knows. One is prophesying and speaking in, in English, for our, our case, speaking in English, and we all understand what's going on. Verse 5, I would that you all speak with tongues. Paul says, I want everybody to speak with tongues. He's not belittling tongues, neither am I. Everyone needs to be speaking in tongues. Uh, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And so he's saying, if I came to you and just spoke in tongues, how's that going to help you? No, I, no, clue what, no clue what's being said. How's that going to help you uh, become a better Christian when you, I come to you speaking in tongues? And so that is why he is making the distinctions here. I'd rather have you prophesy than speak in tongues because prophecy is declaring what God is saying. Speaking in tongues is who knows. And... When you hear what God is saying and understand it, you can say, oh, okay, I need to do that. Oh, I better repent. Or, oh, God, yes, Lord, I, I agree. And so that's why he's saying at this, at this junction right here, it's better that somebody prophesies than speak in tongues. Why? Because it all goes back to the edification of the body. He wants the body to grow. God wants the body to grow. And so the most important thing and the priority is the edification of the church. That is the focus, that is the purpose of the spiritual gifts, is for the body of Christ to become better. Verse 12, even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, we all want to be used, and that's great. That's a great desire uh, to be used. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. If you want to be used of God, say, God, use me to help edify the church. Don't say, God, give me this gift. God, give me this gift. God, give me that gift. No. 
God, use me to help edify the church. You know what the church needs, and if you really want to be used, say, God, use me to help build the church up. Because it's all about the church, right? It's all about edifying the church. And so we can desire spiritual gifts, and, and that's great that we are zealous to have them. But the purpose is, is not to say, oh, look what, I've, look what God used me to do. Look what I did, or look what I did. No, the purpose is to edify the church. And if you're concerned about the church, you're not concerned about yourself, and you don't care how you look. But you're there to edify the church, right? That's what it's about. Verse 13, wherefore, let him speaketh in an unknown tongue, pray that he may interpret. When an unknown tongue goes forth, pray that there's an interpretation. Why? Because who knows what's said? How does that help the body? We'll walk out of here not knowing anything that's said. How does that help us? So when a, when a tongue goes forth, Paul is saying, pray for an interpretation. Because it's all about the body. It's not about us. When tongues go forth, the body should be praying for an interpretation. Why? Because we don't know what was said. We can't grow without an interpretation. We cannot be edified without an interpretation. And so without an interpretation, the utterance of tongues is unfruitful. It doesn't do anything except make someone sound spiritual. The body's just sitting here like, okay, what do I do? Doesn't help us. And so that's why Paul's go diving in here to, to explain the difference of, of tongues and prophecy because prophecy we all hear and we can understand, but tongues we don't. Uh, he says, except there be an interpretation, which is, in essence, kind of a, a, a prophecy, if you will, but it, it ties in with the gift of tongues. One person may give the tongue and another person may interpret. But the one who gave the tongue can also interpret too. I mean, God, can, God does anything. But if we close off our mind and say, nope, this is only what I'm doing, well, how's that, how's that for the body, the good of the body? We don't want to get in the mindset of saying, well, I did my part. I'm waiting for somebody else. If we're in the mindset of the body needs to be edified, then we won't say, I've done my part. Because maybe God needs to use you again. And so uh, the point of, of this is tongues are, are, are pointless and unfruitful if there is no interpretation. We need tongues, we love tongues, we, we use tongues. And this is, the, again, talking about the third, the third reason for tongues is when the body gets together for, for, uh, uh, to glorify God. And so Paul is saying here that tongues are unfruitful if there is no interpretation. doesn't do it, the body any good. And so therefore, uh, the one uh, that gives the tongues, as he says, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in any unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Because the interpretation is the part that edifies the body. And so this is what Paul is driving home here in this chapter. Um, uh, wherefore, verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh with an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Uh, we need to hear the word from God, and that comes through interpretation if a tongue is given. Or it comes through prophecy. If there's no tongue given, then the word of God comes forth through prophecy, and we hear the word of God. Verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. I don't know how he knew that, but he, uh, well, it's a Corinth church, so obviously they weren't really living right, so of course he can say, I'm sure I'm pretty sure I speak in tongues more than you all. Uh, but yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding, five words in English, that by my voice I might teach others also. I'd rather speak five words in English than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Why? 
It's for the body. The body needs to be edified. The body needs to be strengthened and the body needs to grow. The body's not going to be edified with 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, but it can be edified with five words in English. And so that's why he says, I'd rather speak in English than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. The, because the gifts of the Spirit are for the edification of the body. And we need to grow and we need to uh, conform to His Word. And, and many th- we may need to repent. depends what the Word of God, what God is saying. But we need to hear and understand the Word of the Lord. And tongues don't do that unless there is an interpretation. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren... When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, a song, a special song to sing, has a doctrine, has a tongue. Tongues are given all the time. Have a revelation, have an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Again, he's drilling home. It's not about us. It's about the body of Christ that needs to be edified through these spiritual gifts. Verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course let one interpret. What is he saying here? Paul wants everyone to speak in tongues. Obviously, our personal life and all that. But in a gathering, Paul says, he puts a limit on to how many tongues should go forth. Two, or at the most three in a given setting. If a tongues and interpretation goes forth, let's say, in a pre-service prayer, I don't think that it counts against the number of times that can happen in the church service, the, the worship service at 11. Because it's a different setting, there's different people that are in pre-service prayer than there are at 11 o'clock when the big show happens. Uh, and so, but he's saying that in a given setting, whatever the setting is, Let there only be a tongue go forth by two or at the most three. And let there be one that interprets. Uh, And so, um, verse 28, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Why? If there's no interpretation, Nobody knows what's being said. It's better to be quiet and not to give the tongue if there's no interpretation. Because what's being said, nobody knows. And so what do we do if three tongues have gone forth and there's no interpretation? Do we just keep giving tongues? Keep giving tongues? It's got to happen at some point. No. Uh, Paul said two or at the most three. If after three times there's no interpreter, he says, let them keep quiet. Obviously, interpreter's not there or somebody's missing out on it, whatever. There's no point in continuing on this if there's no interpretation given after three times. And so Paul is saying it's better to keep quiet and not speak in tongues. Why? Because the body is not being edified. Nobody knows what's being said. We're all just sitting there twiddling our thumbs. What's going on? I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's being said. Uh, and so um, all we hear is uh, people speaking in tongues, and we don't know what's being said. And most importantly, we need to hear and understand what God is saying. And tongues is only half the part. The interpretation has to come so we know what's, what God wants us to, to hear. And so basically the three strikes are out. That's what Paul says. By two, at the most three, should the tongues go forth in a given setting. Paul puts a limit on tongues in a service because otherwise things can go on forever. Where's the end? Where's the ending of it? And so Paul establishes this principle here. It's great that you're speaking in tongues. We want that. We need interpretation so the body can be beatified. But let's keep things down to two or three at the most. So that we can hear what God has to say and then we can move on to, wh- to whatever else is on the vineyard or whatever. Uh, and so uh, he says let's, let's reel things in to keep things, um, doing, do all things in order and decency. If you stand with me tonight. 
I was in a church service once. Wasn't here. Wasn't anywhere at any church in Florida, so don't worry about it. I was in a church service before, um, and um, some uh, tongues went forth, and interpretation came. Okay, that's fine. And after that was done, boom, another tongue came forth. Another interpretation came. Wow, okay. Another tongue went forth. Another interpretation went. Wow, great service. Another tongue went forth. Another interpretation. And literally, I, I, I don't remember how long. But we were all standing. Because it was like in the middle of worship service or something. I can't remember. But we were all standing there. And it's probably a good six or eight minutes. We're just standing there waiting for this train, chain reaction to go off. And, um, you know, it's fine. Like I said, Paul says three. But after, after three, it starts going, people are like, what's going on here? Again, because you start getting away from the, the, the scripture, and all of a sudden, the confusion, people start getting confused. And like, what's, what's going on? God is not the author of confusion. And so that's why Paul says we need to put a limit on things, two or three, uh, and so if there's no interpretation, it's better to be quiet because nothing is happening. Amen. We're just hearing people give utterance, and the body's not being edified. We're sounding spiritual, but, not, but the body's not being impacted because there's no interpretation. Verse 29, let the prophets speak two or three. Again, he, he limits this, prophecies two or three. And let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. He's saying if, if somebody is prophesying and then somebody else receives and starts prophesying, he's saying, hey, let the first guy calm down because God just revealed something to this guy. Uh, and so, for ye all, for ye may all prophesy one by one that we all may learn and that we all may be comforted. Again, it's all about the body. But he says he puts a limit on it uh, by two or by the most three. Uh, in verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means you can shut it down. And God says, you can shut it down. If it crosses over three, the word of God says the spirit of God, the spirit is subject to the prophets. So, so you can say it up and say, okay, that's enough. That's great to hear. But we're sticking to the Bible. And we, we're not quenching the spirit. We're just obeying scripture. God's not going to deviate from the scripture, right? Uh, and so, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Why is this brought in here? Because without any kind of limitations, things can go crazy real quick. I mean, we're already crazy people because we speak in tongues and we're filled with the Spirit and we'll, we'll dance, we'll run, and we'll shout, we'll do all these things. The world thinks we're crazy. But if there's no limitations on us, we'll get even crazier. And so Paul says, hey, let's, let's keep it to two or three. If God, if God can't deliver his message in two or three tongues and interpretations, then, then what? I mean, what, what else is there? And so that is the, the purpose of tongues. The initial speaking in tongues, our praying in tongues, and then when the body comes together for the edifying of the body so we can become strength and we can hear what God wants to hear, right? How many want to hear what God wants to say to us so we can grow and become better? Amen. So uh, let's continue following the Spirit and flowing in the Spirit, but we also need to be reminded what Paul says here, that things need to be done decently and in order so that things don't don't go off the rails and confusion comes in and then all of a sudden things happen. Amen. I, I'm glad to be a part of a spirit-filled church. I'm glad that we speak in tongues and we follow the, the biblical account of Scripture. And we're going to keep doing that because greater things are yet to come, right? Amen. We need to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. And let's do that tonight. Let's worship the Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Help us tonight, God. Welcome, to Holy you. Spirit. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are in your presence. Fill us with your power. Live inside of me. Oh, welcome, Holy Spirit. We are in your presence. Fill us with your power. Live inside of me. Spirit, welcome Holy Spirit. 
we are in your presence. Fill us with your power. Live inside of me. You're the living water. You're the living water. Never dry and fountain. Comforter and counselor. Take a pink Welcome, Holy Spirit. We are in your presence. Fill us with your power. Live inside of me. Sing, you're the living, you're the living water. Never dry and fountain. Comforter and counselor. Complete control, yes. Welcome, Holy Spirit. We are in your presence. Fill us with your power. Live inside of me. Oh, in me. Fill us with your power. Live inside of me. Let's worship the Lord. Let's thank him for his word. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing. We thank you for your presence, your power in our lives. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Let us exalt you. Let us grow and become the men and women you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to your word that we may edify the church, Lord, through us and through our servitude to your kingdom. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As Paul says, follow after charity. If you follow love, submit yourself to God. He'll use you to edify the church. Amen. We all are vessels. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.